Thanks, Matt. And I extend my welcome to those of you online as well. It's lovely to have you here. Um, I love the stories that come out of Mad Cow. I am looking forward to hearing the stories of Mad Rudd 3. I will not be on a bike, though. <laughs> it's a bit much for me, but the stories are good. And we are actually in our January series called Summer Stories, which is been really good so far. We've had lots of people across our congregation sharing across all the different services and it's been lovely to hear different people's perspectives. For those of us who have had a chance to share with you, when we were approached, the idea was to pick a favourite, a favourite character or a favourite Bible story that we wanted to share. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like picking favourites. If ever you've been around a small child, they do go through a developmental stage as they separate from mum and dad and they work out that we all have individual preferences. Lots of children get fixated on the thought of favourites. You have to discuss what their favourite is, what your favourite is, what grandma's favourite is, and the list is endless. It can be pizza, it can be colour of a car, it can be favourite movie, favourite song, you name it, it's discussed. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids quickly learnt that I'm not very good at playing this game and I will often pick something very random just to end the conversation. <laughs> it's very spoil-sportery of me, but I don't actually enjoy choosing the favourites. So when it came to picking a favourite Bible story or a Bible character, I went, oh, that's really hard, worse than trying to pick a favourite child. But if you ask them, they'll all tell you that they're all my favourites. So that's okay. They all believe it for now. But trying to pick a favourite Bible story or a favourite Bible character was so hard. So I'm really greedy. And this morning I've picked two. So bear with me and just pretend that we're not playing favourites. We've just picked two. Okay. Is that, we're all good? So I've called this morning's sermon Great Faith, and we're going to look at two Bible characters who display great faith. They're quite different. The first one is Abraham, and his faith story is really long. He has three key moments in his story that we'll look at, but it's an incredible, unwavering, lifelong, tested, persevering, it's a really incredible, inspiring faith. And the other one we're going to look at doesn't have a name, but I find his story incredibly aspirational. And we'll unpack the difference as we go along because they're quite different. But let's start with Abraham. If you have your Bibles with you or a device, we're going to start in Genesis 12. Um, if not, just turn to the screen. It will be there for you. So we're going to start in Genesis 12, chapter 1. Now, lucky us, um, while you're turning there, we get Abraham's genealogy in chapter 11. He actually gets introduced to us in chapter 11. We get a whole history of where he's come from. He actually comes from Noah's son, Shem, like it goes back that far. And his story goes through the whole Bible. We, um, we get so many details of his story. It's quite incredible and it's action-packed and there's a lot going on. But the first part of it, this is really key. This is where it really kicks off and his life of faith is really displayed. So I'm going to read it to you starting in verse 1 if you've all had time to find it. So this is chapter 12 of Genesis. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram went. Now you might notice that his name here is Abram. God changes his name later to Abraham and his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. But I just want to emphasize those last few words. So Abram went. Now, at face value, these are pretty significant promises. They actually carry through the whole story of the Bible, give us a clue into God's plan for redemption and his restoration of it to create a people for himself, to call them out, to give them a land and an identity. This is huge, huge promises. But at face value, absolutely impossible. And yet Abram's faith meant that he packed up his household and he went. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how God was going to do this, but he went. And that to me is really significant that he was willing to blindly follow something he had no idea about. No idea. There was no preamble about, well, I'll just do this and then I'll do that. God didn't give him any of the behind the scenes details. He just said, this is how it's going to be. Go. And Abram went. And I find that really inspiring. So much in this and very, very simple faith. But one of the really big things that makes this at face value seem impossible is that Abram and Sarai at this point were quite old. They were in their 70s and Sarai was barren. And yet they'd just been promised as elderly people that great nations were going to come from them. And yet they didn't have a single child. Now Abram's story goes on and on and on. It's a really long story. And we find him again in 24 years later. So at this point he's 99. And none of these promises have been fulfilled. None. And he still has faith. God meets him again, changes his name, and gives him another way of displaying his faith. They're not going, but a covenant, a contract. So a way for Abram to prove or show that his faith was real. God asks him in Genesis 17 verse 23 to use circumcision as a way of displaying that he still believed God was going to fulfill every one of these promises. Now it's not so much that Abram circumcised himself, he also circumcised his entire family and household. That's all his slaves, all the people that work for him, all the people that are attached to him. And he's wealthy. There's a lot of people here. Now, if we could just chuck up that next slide, please. Thanks, Bert. Mm. (laughs) Okay, great faith here, guys. (laughs) No anaesthetic, no sterilization, and a flint knife. Okay, you getting it? This is faith. This is absolutely faith. Rubber hits the road faith. This is, no doubt about it, if you're serious, you'll do... Oh, I'm like, oh my goodness. One thing to suffer personally, another one to convince. I could not convince all of you to do this. <laughs> wouldn't have a hope. This is great faith. That's the second instance, I think, that's a really key moment in his life of faith. But do you know what? Genesis 17, 23 says that on the very day God said it, they did it the very day they didn't wait around they didn't discuss it they didn't give it a whole oh maybe we should maybe we shouldn't they just did it how crazy is that that's pretty amazing so anyway a year passes by another year travels on and Sarah has a baby long long awaited for baby so about 25 years since the original promise so she's now about 100 like this is 
an incredible fulfillment of a really impossible promise. They name him Isaac means laughter, another fulfillment of a promise. Now, there's still just Isaac. More time goes on. There's no more children. Isaac is the only hope now of fulfilling this promise. And God asks him again to do something quite significant. He says, take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Now, we get no background. Why would God ask this? We're told that it's a test. But why? Makes no sense. And yet Abraham gets up the next morning and off he goes and he prepares to sacrifice his only son. The only way in human logic that he can have all of the promises that God's given him and he's willing to lay it down. Now Paul tells us in Romans 4 and 5 that it's because um, as far as Abraham was concerned that if Isaac died, God could resurrect him. He was that assured of God's ability to fulfill his promises and to, his faith was that strong that he considered it didn't matter if Isaac was dead or alive. This is great faith. Abraham becomes known as the father of faith. And this story is amazing. Paul says in Romans 4 and 5 that these words are written for us, to encourage us, to inspire us. And I am inspired, absolutely inspired. But if this was the only story of faith I had in the Bible, I'd probably be really worried too. This is not my story of faith. I don't have the unshakable, unwavering, undoubting, unquestioning, get up and go do it sort of faith. I don't. But I do have what we see in the next story. Our second character doesn't have a genealogy, doesn't have a name, but he does have a son. And we find him in the Synoptic Gospels, so he's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and, but not John. And we're going to look at Mark's version of the story. It's very brief. Compared to Abraham's long story, this is one snippet of this man's life. But I find it aspirational. So if we could grab that up, we're going to read. If you've got a Bible or a device, we're going to head to Mark. So Mark chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 14. So if you haven't got it, it'll be up on the screens, and we'll read through it together. Are you ready? So Mark 9, 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus... They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation... Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. 
Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. We, I'm just trying to work out where I... Yep, sorry, I didn't realize where I'd stopped. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, I want to just stop and talk a, bit, a little bit about this passage because it's got some interesting things in it. First of all, it mentions at the very start that Jesus and his and three disciples are coming back to the crowd of disciples. So Jesus, Peter, James and John have just been up on the mount of, and had the transfiguration. So that's what, and they're coming back. Previously to this, Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two and given them authority over impure spirits. So it makes sense that a man who's looking for Jesus and found his disciples would approach them and ask them to help him. So that makes perfect sense. The disciples have been doing this. They've done it. They've seen it happen. They have confidence that they can. But first of all, they can't. The next thing is that I'm just guessing. This is pure supposition. When Moses came off the mountain, his face was glowing. This is one of the only times we see awe and wonder at Jesus' presence by the, by the crowds. So I'm wondering if maybe Jesus came off the mountain and he was still a little bit illuminated. I don't know. There's no evidence for it. I'm just guessing and reading between the lines. I'd like to think there was a reason. There's no other really clear instance of where people think that Jesus is remarkable to look at. But his presence here is causing awe and wonder. And I think that's pretty cool. The next thing I wanted to look at was that Jesus rebukes the crowd as an unbelieving generation. Now, this is to the whole group. This is to all the disciples. So I want you to notice that this is an issue of faith. The man has had faith to ask for help. He hasn't been able to receive help. I wonder if it's knocked his faith. If he's thought, now, there's, where do I go now? If they couldn't do it, then nobody can. I wonder if that's part of his questioning. We don't know. Again, pure supposition. I'm just guessing. If you want to, go back and read the story slowly and more carefully yourself and see what you think. But there's a lot in here. Even though Jesus rebukes the whole crowd as an unbelieving generation, when he approaches the man and speaks to him, just him to him, he's really gentle. There's no telling off. There's no rebuke, no theological discussion or lecture, no shame for needing to question, nothing. He's just gentle. If, sorry, Bert, could we ju- uh, chuck up verses 22 and 23 again? Thank you. His response is, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response back to the man is, if you can, if you can. And then what a lovely statement of truth. Everything is possible for one who believes. Again, no lecture, no shame attached, no rebuke. Straight to the heart of the problem. His problem and ours. If you can. How many times do we ask if you can? 
This story too reveals the character of God just as much as the story of Abraham does. But it's not about a lifelong faith, an undoubting faith, an unquestioning faith, an unwavering faith. It's about a tentative, hopeful, small faith. And it gives me something to aspire to. It gives me something I can do. Because I think in this short exchange, we find the secret of great faith. Inspiration and aspiration are often used interchangeably. Inspiration causes us to think differently. I see the story of Abraham and I'm inspired. I want faith like Abraham. But I see the story of the unnamed man and I think I can do that. I can pray that prayer. I can bring that small faith to God. That's something I can do. Aspiration. But what do we do? with the story of this unnamed man today. What do I do with it? I might bring that prayer. What do I do? Let's break it down together and have a look at it more closely. I think the first thing we can do, or the thing that I do, is that we can ask. We can ask ourselves the same question Jesus asked him, if you can. Three little words that are very loaded words. It's equivalent to saying, who do you say I am? These words are loaded in this context. This man knows that believing that Jesus can do this is tantamount to saying Jesus is God. Jesus is asking, do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I am the fulfillment of every promise given to Abraham? That's huge. More than a prophet. Do you believe I am more than a prophet? Do you believe that I am God incarnate flesh? Fully human and fully God, divine. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I am the Christ, the Messiah, and all that comes with that? For this man really knew that what he was asking was tantamount to saying yes. Answering yes would change the direction of his life forever. He would never be the same again. And he was risking a lot to answer yes publicly. But answering no meant that his son wouldn't get healed and his suffering would continue and he might, he might die. And there's Jesus waiting. And I'm assuming, and this is not presupposition, he would have been looking with compassion and waiting for the answer. What do we do? We ask ourselves the same question. It has to start with who do you say he is? We can't have great faith unless we believe in a great God. What do you do with that? Jesus goes on to say somewhere else in John 14, 6, there is no other way to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he was putting in front of this man. That's what he puts in front of us. It doesn't matter. We cannot find other ways to get to God. It has to be through Jesus. What do we do with that? We have to ask ourselves the same question. And the second thing we do is we have to answer it. We have to answer it honestly. There's no point pretending. Immediately the man answered. Immediately. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. That's an honest answer. We have to bring our real selves to the conversation. Not the selves we want to be. Not the selves we want others to see or think we are. 
we have to bring all of us to this conversation. It's got to be a humble response. But wherever we are with Jesus, wherever we stand, however we've answered that first question, we can answer it honestly. No pretense and no pride. And the third thing is that we need to acknowledge our need. So ask, answer and acknowledge. We need to bring our need to Jesus. There's no point suffering along with a need that we haven't brought to him. Not all of us will receive promises as clearly as Abraham did. But all of us at some point will encounter a need that we can't meet on our own. Something that is beyond us. We'll all get there at some point. There'll be something in life that is just there and we cannot deal with it. How often do we struggle on and forget to say, help, help me with this, Lord. We need to acknowledge our need that we can't do this on our own. This father would have tried everything else. I don't think Jesus was his first point of call. This boy had been suffering since he was a child. Why do we wait? We can bring our need. We can acknowledge that we need help. We can allow our fear and our doubt to keep us away or we can bring it honestly with our need. We can hold our fear and our doubt and our need and our hope and our faith all together. Jesus is big enough to deal with it. I can hold out the little faith I have and I can ask for more. I don't know if any of you have read the book Oliver Twist or seen the movie. There's an iconic scene where Oliver draws the short straw, that's basically what they do, and he's the one who has to go up and ask Mr Bumble for more. And he goes up and he's very shy, please, sir, I want some more. How many of us think we're going to get the same response that Oliver got? Yelled at, chased, shamed, shooed away. Do we really think that our God's going to give us the same response? Because he won't. We see Jesus with compassion here. Meeting the man in his need. There was no harshness, no criticism. Just an acceptance and leaving the man to decide for himself. What was he going to do with the question? In this story, the greatest need that's unspoken is the man's need for faith. He's asking for healing for his son, but what he's really needing is to acknowledge that Jesus is God. That's his real need and it's our real need too. But if we do allow our physical, emotional, spiritual needs to drive us back to Jesus, that's the best of both. The greatest need in this story is faith. But we can pray in spite of or regardless of our doubts. We know that a faithful God can meet us when we are not full of faith ourselves. Wherever we are, he will always listen. Jesus healed the son not because of the father's huge faith, but because he trusted Jesus to meet him in his lack of faith. I can do that. That's something I can aspire to. I can pray, Lord, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. So the key here, I think, my, I'm convinced of this, is that great faith is any faith, any small amount held out to a great God. A great God can take what we give him and make it amazing. We don't have to make it amazing. That's his job. We just have to hold it out and ask for more. I can do that. I can pray with my little faith, trusting that God will make it big. I don't have to be worried that I don't have enough because Jesus is enough. 
Where do you need faith today? What has popped into your mind as I've been talking? What is it that you know you can't deal with on your own? That you know you need help? What is it? Is it a work situation? Do you need a door opened or closed? Is there a relationship that needs restoration and you know that it's not possible on your own to do this? What is it? Have you been given a promise that's not yet fulfilled or a longing that hasn't been satisfied? Is there something? Most of us will have something. What is it today for you? Have you asked Jesus about it? Now, I need to put a caveat here. There's no promise that your need will be met in the way you want, the way you think, or immediately, or in your time frame, or the right way according to you. We only have to run back to Abraham to see that. God does things on his own timeline, in his own way, and often we've got no idea how he's going to do it until it's already done. But the promise is that he will. If we ask him about it, he will. As we wrap up this morning, as we think about all of this together, I want to encourage us to think about our story. Who do you relate more to? Are you an Abraham faith or are you an unnamed dad faith? Where do you sit on the spectrum? What's your story of faith like? I'm so glad we have both these stories. I'm so glad that we're given a glimpse into both these lives. Not having faith like Abraham doesn't mean we don't have faith. And coming to Christ without any pretense or pride, with our doubts and our questions, our needs, we're assured that our faith will grow, that he will strengthen it, that he will deepen it. God doesn't need us to be perfect. He needs us to be real. Real with him and real with each other as we share our stories. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear a story, I'm also inspired and I'm given an aspiration. Other people's stories build us up. Sharing our story can be just as powerful for us as it can be for the people we share it with. Jesus was not cross or harsh. What are we holding back from? What are we worried about? Why don't we do this? Jesus did ask a question that got right to the heart of the issue. Are we willing to let him take us there too? If you spend time with God this afternoon and you ask him about this or you spend time talking to him about this, are you willing to open up and be that vulnerable? Be that real with him? You can trust that he'll be kind with you. If I can. Do you believe he can? Often we doubt that he can. The same God who spoke creation into beings, comes storms. You were alive. It's a miracle you were here. If you can. Of course you can. Let's ask him. I really, really believe that great faith is a small faith held out to a great God. And that's something we can do together. Amen. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Love it when you cheer me on. I want to pray together now. As we close the service. And I want to give you time in that prayer to bring your need to him. To, to acknowledge to yourself what it is that you need him to do for you or in you. To be humble enough to admit our lack of faith. 
and to ask for a faith that can move mountains or wait as long as it takes without wavering or doubting. Would you do that with me? Would you join with me as we pray together this morning? Let's close our eyes and lift it back up to God. Oh Lord, thank you so much for Abraham, for Sarah and for the promises that you gave them. Thank you that even though they didn't see complete fulfillment, we can look back and see what you have done in Jesus. That in him, every promise is complete. Thank you for the story of the unnamed father and your gentleness with him. Thank you that I can see myself in this story. Help us to pray. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, we bring our needs to you this morning. Holy Spirit, you hear every heart's cry this morning, the longings we have, the mountains we need moved. Please act for us today and give us the faith to trust you with the outcome. Lord, we believe that you are able to do more than we can dream or imagine. Strengthen us today, Lord. Make us bold and help us to build each other up with our stories of your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.